0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, brought to you by Emory Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm joined by Doug Battle.
1: How are you, Doug? I am doing well, Mike. It's been a crazy week. Uh, college coaching carousel. We thought it was over, and then out of nowhere, Nick Saban decides to hang it up. And the entire state of Alabama's freaking out. The entire Pacific Northwest between Oregon and Washington freaking out. Uh, the University of Georgia freaking out, looking for players to poach, looking for assistant coaches to take. The SEC is in shambles. I mean, it's been a chaotic post-college football playoff week. It's crazy to think a week ago we were getting ready to watch the national championship game. That feels like it was years ago now.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned a lot of it. Harbaugh shopping himself to the NFL. I mean, yeah. you, you know, the other side of this is the NFL coaching ranks are. I think there's something like eight openings, yeah. and there might be yeah. a few more, a few more coming up as the playoffs transpire. So today, we want to actually focus on coaches. And look, coaches are a big part of sports. It's not always that coaches take the headlines. This the the Monday following. I think it was Monday or it was it Tuesday when Saban retired and Belichick was sounds like it was pushed out. That might be the most coach centric day I've ever seen in sports
1: where it was all about the coaches. Yeah, it's that's been all the headlines this last week, you know, typically talking about in college, the transfer portal or in the pros free agency or trade deadline or whatnot. But coaches have taken a limelight this week. I will say the biggest loser in this is Michigan football because they just finally won their national championship. It's been like a 20-plus year drought. Their fans have been clamoring for this for years. And Nick Saban upstages them two days later by retiring. No one has mentioned Michigan football or the championship game, what Washington accomplished this year, it all feels like an afterthought at this point. We're full steam ahead, moving toward this 12-team playoff structure, and it's like everything that's previously happened no longer matters at all. And I've enjoyed keeping up with the Alabama coaching search, obviously as a Georgia fan, but also someone from Birmingham, Alabama, a lot of ties to Alabama. Keeping up with, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what impressed me this last week, Mike. That Alabama fan base. They went from doom and gloom, the world is over, the king is dead, and within 48 hours, they are completely rejuvenated. They are more optimistic about Alabama football than they have been in 10 years. More excited, more enthusiastic. This new coach bringing in this new offense. He's had receivers put up crazy numbers. Quarterback in the Heisman ranks took a team with way less talent to a national championship game. Think of what he can do with Alabama's talent. That fan base went from doom and gloom, practically hosting a funeral outside of Bryant-Denny Stadium to rallying around the plane as the new coach came in and now completely trolling everyone on Twitter, telling opposing fan bases Alabama is going to own the SEC for forever. Nick Saban still got his hand in this. He is Emperor Palpatine this is just a new apprentice for him whose strings he can pull to keep alabama at the top i've i've been fascinated by that fan base this week okay and i'm just going to shake my head i mean that fan base is
0: diluted on both <laughs> connections, right and the first thing of i mean i th- you sent me what was it a a tweet a, an x what do, what do we call these things a tweet <laughs> an x
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: That the twin, you know, the second tower fell when some oh, yeah committed, right? Yeah. It was,
1: it was Alabama's. Yeah. From 9-11. the message boards. Yeah. Yeah. It was likened to nine 11 by some Alabama message boarders. Uh, and you, you don't even know if this is
0: trolling at this point, right? I mean, did they, do they just light it up, but I mean, I, my sense is it is the real feeling.
1: No, okay, now, I, I listened so, to fine you know, the day that it happened and you had a, a guy threatening if Alabama were to hire Dabo Sweeney, he threatened to go out on Bryant Denny Stadium to midfield, cover himself in gasoline, and light himself on fire. And I, I do think there's some hyperbole there, some, you know, maybe metaphorical speech. But nonetheless, we had some serious, serious statements made by diehard Bama fans who were really had to be talked off a ledge. And and yet the, the amount of self-convincing going from convincing themselves Dan Lanning was going to be the coach for the next 50 years because he's such a young guy. And then Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, and finally landing on the Washington coach and, and researching and convincing oneself that this guy was a way better choice than anyone else and, in fact, is the best coach in the SEC – it's remarkable. Okay. I, I just admire the self-convincing because I've been there. I've yeah. been there. Well, and it's – you know what it is? It's, it's kind of amateur
0: or folklore – folklore analytics. Let's coin a new term, right? Analytics. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, because what you do is you start to pull these pieces of data, right? And you say, well, you know, this is the key piece of data, right? This is a guy that built the Washington program to finish second. It's really hard to build a program in the Pac-10. So he's got those skills. He's been recruiting the West Coast. So he's going to be able to cherry pick from the West Coast and take this to the SEC, right? You build up these, like I said, it's not exactly analytics. It's more of a folk wisdom, but they are building a case. And you can imagine going out there and collecting data and saying, well, when you bring in a coach from out of conference, how does the recruiting look compared to if you hire a coach from within conference? What does it look like if you bring in a head coach from a successful program versus bringing in a guy who is, you know, came up through your through your ranks, someone that came up through the Alabama system, right? So you can look at the analytics of, I mean, you could collect data on all this. We actually did that at Emory for a while with one of my PhD students, You don't find a lot, right? There's no magic bullet that it's like, well, you got to hire a guy from in-state who has the recruiting relationships. It's, you know, sometimes things work, sometimes things don't. I will tell you this, that in general, the first thing that happens when you hire a new coach, and this is is kind of a stunning result because most teams, not Alabama, but most teams that have a new coach have had a bad season. Hmm. But even when you look at, you know, just the ones that have bad seasons. And if you do some, you do some control work where you're actually trying to match matched. So it, there's a, there's some technical things you can do, but in general, you probably lose an extra game the year that you bring
1: in a new coach. Seems that way. The Alabama situation is unique because like you alluded to, not only did Alabama not have a bad year, they had a really good year. They made the the final four. They won the SEC championship and the new head coach. Uh, that's a good year. Well, for, <laughs> for a new head coach, that's a good situation to walk into. Maybe by Alabama standards, not so much. But this coach is inheriting the most talented roster in college football, assuming he can keep a majority of the players. And you don't often see that in college football. You don't often see that in sports at all, like you mentioned. Typically, coaches are going into a bad situation. It's much like being a top quarterback pick. You're going into a losing team with a bad offensive line or bad defense, and then you're going to have the setback of having a young quarterback or in this case, a coach who's new to the the area, new to the conference. Alabama is going to be so interesting to watch for me because the head coach that they're bringing in is – as Alabama fans would say, an offensive whiz, an offensive mastermind. I'm of the opinion that when you have a head coach in college sports who is a brilliant mind on one side of the football, your success or lack thereof comes down to who you hire as your coordinator on the other side of the ball. For Alabama, that's TBD, and I'm I'm very eager to see who they land. For Georgia over the years, or you know, my alma mater had some bad ones and Kirby had some great defenses, but the offense kept that team from winning championships and they finally had, you know, a phenomenal OC and won two in a row and maybe took a step back this year. And so once that OC left, so I I think the coordinators are such a big part of football and and part of the hiring process or decision-making that often gets overlooked where I think much of the credit is attributed uh, to the head coach and the quarterback more so than the offensive and defensive coordinators
0: okay so some stuff to unpack and all that yeah building a staff building a grade a staff is a critical part of this deal especially at the college, college level right? yeah recruiting the entire country and those guys are are carrying a lot of are carrying a lot of weight and, I, and I, you mentioned that this and again alabama is probably the wrong you're right alabama is a fascinating situation but alabama is kind of a tough situation, right? Because one of the things that happens, well, obviously the key point about taking the Alabama job is that, well, Saban finished fourth last year, and that's a pretty significant disappointment, Mm -hmm. right? Saban underachieved and then walked out the door. So making the college football playoff is, uh, there's probably two schools where not winning at all is viewed as an underachievement by the the fans
1: at this point. Well, and I
0: think that- has this problem, right? If you're following the legend, who followed Bear Bryant? Bunch of guys. And then Saban- Bunch of guys, yeah. And so who's followed Saban? Odds are it's going to be a bunch of guys. Okay, so expectations are a problem. But the other thing, you mentioned this guy's an offensive whiz. And this is where Alabama is a bad example. Most of the time, programs are built- for what the coach wants to do, right? Yep. know I, I mentioned something to you in the our text stream this week, which is called the Grinnell system. The Grinnell system is, Grinnell College is this Division three basketball team that was known for putting up points. Okay, so Doug, what they would do is, here, I'll, I'll actually read you from the Wikipedia page. The main tenets of the Grinnell system are, the first possible shot is the best possible shot. Okay. <laughs> three point field goal attempts are preferred over shorter shots. There's some analytics in that, right? Yeah. Expected value. Shoot as many point number two, shoot as many three pointers as possible. Okay. Sounds like a fun team to be on, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> Sounds like I coached eighth grade a couple years back and <laughs> everybody attempt. wanted to be Steph Curry. I think they'd been studying this team.
0: Yeah. In terms of defense, giving up an uncontested layup is better than a shot clock violation. We want the ball back as quick as possible. Right? <laughs> I'd rather give up two and get the ball back. Okay. Always double the team with the ball. Okay. Cup. Every player but the shooter goes for the offensive rebound. Okay. Love that. There's, always, there's always a full court press. Okay. So, you know, I, I'm changing the topic from football to basketball, but this Grinnell system. It's based on analytics, maybe not, maybe that they, they haven't collected the data, but there's a philosophy of analytics, right? 3-point shot worth more than a 2-point shot. Yep. Now Doug is a basketball player and I'll come back to football here. If this is the system you're running, who are you recruiting to run your system?
1: Some athletes. <laughs> Some athletes, somebody that can run the court, uh, that's aggressive, that's fast, that's assertive with the basketball, decisive. Shoot shoot the three ball. You gotta have some three point shooters. You know, it I mean you clearly the philosophy is that the more shots the better, but of course if the percentages are higher, that's better too <laughs> when you're shooting a bunch of shots. So yeah, we're, we're gonna want some three ball guys that can run and gun it. Okay. You want athletes that don't get tired.
0: Great cardio. Three ball, three three point shooters. That's what you want. Okay, now imagine that you are a you're an old school basketball coach, Doug. You like to pound the ball inside to a center and work that way. You take over this team. Do you got a problem?
1: Yeah, because you're going to have a bunch of six foot four guys. It was probably the whole roster. You know, it's probably positionless basketball. It was what they call it—a team like that where everyone's just running and trying to get to the basket and can shoot from outside. So probably you probably don't have that six foot eleven or seven foot. I don't know what level of basketball we're talking, but D- you. Yeah, you don't have anyone over six eight though, most yeah. likely on a team like that, unless unless you have Victor Wimbanyama hitting those logo three balls.
0: Okay, so you know the Grinnell. What's notable about Grinnell and why it's something that's at least semi-known? Grinnell was putting up so many points; they had a player score 136 points in a game that they actually got a televised game by ESPN. Phenomenal. Okay. And so I, I, I think. You know, the the Grinnell system illustrates a couple of things, right? You can study these things and figure out the best shot, and so we're only going to take three-point shots. Like, we're never going to punt the ball on fourth down in football. I think most of the time it's, it's based on the coach's wisdom developed over time and their belief, their belief system. But the Grinnell system, I, I was looking for something that really illustrates the problems that occur when a new coach takes over. So Alabama's different, right? There's talent at every position on that roster. Yeah so it's not that much of a problem but if you go in somewhere else
1: typically you got to rebuild that roster right to guys that fit your system yeah and you see uh, drastic examples like maybe I think when Gene Chizik took over with Gus Malzahn as his OC at Auburn Auburn had been a pro style offense up until that point and they started to really spread things out it needed a different type of quarterback different type you go across the board you look at Georgia Tech a few years ago finally switching from that triple option and the first year they're running a pro style offense they don't have anyone that can throw the football because they haven't had to throw the football and they don't have any receiver of course they actually had like more good receivers than you would think for a triple option offense but you get the idea is that sometimes when you make a drastic change like that the personnel is not going to align with what the coach wants and the coach either forces their system Onto those players, or they adapt to the players that they have, or they are named Deion Sanders. They
0: come into Colorado, and they push out the entire existing team, right? Right. So that kind of roster turnover. Now, in Dion's case, right, they they won. They, you know, the disruption was a positive. They won four games, I think, four games last year instead of winning one the the season before. But yeah. I think that's a lot of what happens in these coaching changes. And look, frankly. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers have had two coaches the last 30 years. Pittsburgh Steelers' worst season over that time period, I think, is like a six-win season. Mm-hmm. This issue of stability and having a system in-house that you are always working towards, right, in, in Pittsburgh, it's always a 3-4 defense, and you're getting these, you know, outside linebackers or small, smaller defensive ends. You have a system, and you're building the system for that, and you have the consistency. Alabama, like I said, is an interesting case study, right? Because <laughs> there's there's pro prospects at every position, with, with the exception of I, I don't know, maybe not the quarterback, which is an interesting maybe place. not
1: the the center. Okay,
0: Who, why at the center?
1: Yeah, they had like five oh. bad snaps in the college football playoff. The whole fan base blamed the loss on the center and, and the lack of a successful season in their eyes on the center, but. Yeah, again, really unique situation in Tuscaloosa where, like we've been talking about, usually you bring in your system and the players don't fit to it. They have so much talent, it's hard to imagine a system that wouldn't work, To you know, at least in the sense of having 10-plus wins in a season.
0: Well, the disruption might be different at, at uh, Alabama, right? It'll be... Look, the Illinois fan pages... Are and if Illinois is doing this, I assume everyone's doing this. I'm talking about the top prospects
1: to maybe steal from Alabama. Oh, right. Every, every team in the country yeah, thinks DeBoer. that they're about to get Alabama's five best players.
0: Yeah. So you change the philosophy, you change the, the tone of the program. And my guess is that uh, what's the what's the new coach's name? Deboer. Deboer, that Deboer is not going to have, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but odds are he's not going to have the level of talent at Alabama that Saban has because no one has that.
1: Here's right? here's my impression of the situation. I think my my prediction is he's going to get some guys to stay. They're going to bring in some of that talent from Washington from a team that just made the national championship, and they're going to have a very talented team in year one. He doesn't have the recruiting background or reputation of a Nick Saban my bet is that DeBoer's most talented team at Alabama is going to be his first team at Alabama which is very different than most coaches who come in and they have a so-so year but the fans sell themselves on well he's starting to bring in his guys you look at Hugh Freeze this year at Auburn kind of a rough year didn't have the right quarterback for his system they're going after guys in the portal. They're recruiting hard, and the fans are like, you know what? We almost beat Alabama. We almost beat Georgia with this group. Now we're starting to get our guys that fit the system, and it's going to all start to fall into place. I don't know that you're going to have a situation like that in Alabama, and it may be just the opposite where if it doesn't work in year one and people the recruits see it and say, oh, Bama's done, you know, they're, they're not what they used to be, and there's less and less talent coming in every year from that point on. And the coach is in a real pickle at that point. Right. And the coach is in rock and hard place, right?
0: Where yeah. winning the national championship is, frankly, the only acceptable
1: season outcome. I think it's a must-win. I think it's a must-win year one. I think you got to do it year one in, in Tuscaloosa following and, Saban. And the disruption, then, it
0: has got to win it in the first two years, right? I mean, otherwise, the, the call—but so the disruption effect— Almost go go, in this situation goes beyond goes beyond the walls of the building, right? It goes beyond Tuscaloosa because you have to put this in the context of what college football is, transfer portal, NIL, how it is changing, SEC growing, Big Ten growing, getting more competitive, and so here's a question for you, Doug: Saban had the most talent on the field. Now suddenly. NIL means that essentially there's no salary cap, right? Mm-hmm. That the New York Yankees of college football can go out and buy whatever they want. Now, Alabama might think they're the New York Yankees of college football. But who has the most – and I don't know the answer to this. I think Texas. Who has the most resources in the SEC in terms of deep-pocketed donors? I think Texas. recruiting bases. I think Texas. I think you look at what they – Texas? What, let me give you – Texas, Texas A&M, and Georgia, I think.
1: Yeah, I I don't know that Georgia can compete with those other two in terms of money just from what I've seen so far. You look at the last two years, Georgia's number one receiver last year transfers to Texas. Alabama's number one receiver this year transfers to Texas. They're they're just handpicking whoever they want off the top rosters in football and bringing them in for instant success. And they made the playoff their first year doing that. And so it's hard to imagine teams like Georgia and Alabama competing with that for the, the kind of veteran well, talent that teams like Texas that wanted, get. The thing that I want to – my,
0: my view of resources here is, a, is, a, is fairly broad. So the one thing that Georgia has, and you know Ohio State has it too, is that there's there's really just a few states that produce a lot of football talent. Yeah. Okay. Texas, Georgia, Louisiana, oddly right, but it's a smaller state. Ohio, Pennsylvania traditionally, but it's kind of dropped off. Florida, but Florida has to share, right? Florida has to share with not only out of state programs but Miami and Florida State. So Georgia has Georgia's got a, a passionate fan base. They own a metro area, which is part of this part of this story, right? They own a big chunk of Atlanta, but they you know Georgia is kind of theirs, right? So, where does Alabama then kind of fit into the hierarchy of and and look, what are the Alabama fans gonna say? We're Alabama. People, we don't need to pay
1: players. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah, I mean that's what Georgia fans say. I don't think Texas fans even say it. They're just like, "Hey, we're gonna buy your players, and that's how we're gonna beat you." And I, I kind of think it's gonna work. But Texas has a
0: three point six million dollar backup quarterback, Doug.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> right. They got, yeah, they got, they got a backup quarterback who's making more than some NFL quarterbacks. So. It's hard to imagine. I think Texas is the best position SEC team to be a juggernaut in the post Nick Saban world. I thought pre NIL transfer portal, all that. I thought that Georgia was positioned for that. I think that recruiting at a high school, no one's going to do a better job. No one understands that better. But like I said, this year, like losing your number one receiver to a team like Texas can be the difference in Texas making the playoff and, and your team making the playoff, and, and likely was. I mean, you look at that, that player, A.D. Mitchell, had, two, I think, two touchdowns against Alabama in, in that game for Texas that ultimately vaunted them to the college football playoff, and Georgia was lacking that playmaking ability in a game. They lost by three points to Alabama in the SEC championship. So that can be the difference right there. I think that that's what's going to swing things in Texas's favor as a Georgia guy. You know, you want to see just players that want to be there that that aren't all about the money. But I have a hard time faulting a player for leaving to, to make millions of dollars as a 19, 20, 21 year old. It's hard. I mean, I know a lot of Albion fans are upset about Isaiah Bond right now. Kids driving around in a, I think, a Lamborghini in Texas. You know, I, he doesn't seem all that concerned with, you know, potentially tarnishing his legacy in Tuscaloosa. How much is that worth to you as a as a twenty year old? The Lamborghini
0: strikes me as, you know, either the worst car to show <laughs> up in or the best car. Right? It's, it's almost become ironic. <laughs> there, there was actually one that was driving around Emory for a while, which makes it even funnier, right? <laughs> I kept illegally parking by the business school. Some surgeon or something. Okay. So I, I want to switch over to talk about the pro coaching, the situation with the professional coaches as well. And and I think the transition point for this discussion is Deion Sanders. Okay. So everything we're talking about in terms of college sports, Dion is actually – like i was I've been pretty negative towards Dion, and if Dion somehow gets an NFL job or the Cowboys job foreshadowing where the conversation's oh. going, whole you know fingers crossed, then I will have been right in terms of his impact on Colorado, but given what college sports is looking at, I'll go out there and say it Dion Sanders is the guy most built for college football at this moment. Everyone else is upset at how NIL is disrupting rosters. Dion doesn't care. Dion looks at it and goes, and Dion looks at it and doesn't see the the destruction of tradition and values. Dion seems to look at it and go, opportunity and I'm ready for this.
1: Yeah, and even seeing Nick Saban interviewed this last week talking about that wasn't what led him to retire and there's been much discussion about that but his point was that look, if you're a coach in college football, you can't uh, you you've got to adjust or you're going to get run over. And so when something like NIL comes into play, you've got to have a game plan, you've got to embrace it and everyone can say that, Georgia can say that, Texas can say that, Alabama can say that. But Dion's the only one I've seen that truly doesn't seem like it bothers him. I think it bothers every other coach. I think it bothers the traditional old heads of college football. And someone like Deion Sanders, he loves it. It's an opportunity. It's great for the kids. It's great for Dion. It's great for Coach Prime. You know, it's great for AFWAC. I mean, it's 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 a win-win-win-win-win. So you know, I, I do think he's the only one that seems like unbothered wow. by it, and it would win- be. It's a win-win. I mean, maybe the the one win that Dion doesn't care about, and I'm not saying he should, is maybe he doesn't care about Colorado's side of it, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He cares about himself. He cares about the players. Man, if if Bama had hired Norvell from Florida State, Dion did – force. it felt like destiny. It felt like that was what was going to happen. Oh, and, you know, the,
0: the, the NCAA coming down on Florida State for NIL violations. Right. I, you know – that there's got to be some investigative journalist out there who's
1: going to dig into, you know, why the NCAA hates Florida State. Well, I've I've seen the tweets already about that, and ironically, my understanding is the player that triggered the whole thing is a Georgia guy. So you got Florida State trying to take a Georgia player last off season, Amarius Mims. He's going to be a first round pick this year, Amarius Mims. Flirts with Florida State, comes back to Georgia, tells them what's going on. Georgia ends up playing Florida State in a bowl game, absolutely humiliates them. Mims doesn't even play in that game, by the way. He's, too, he's, he's injured. He, it's not worth risking it for Florida, little old Florida State. So Georgia smokes them on national TV, embarrasses them. The fan base is roasting them constantly. Say little Florida State? In the eyes of, in the eyes of Georgia, Yeah. Little, little undefeated Florida. Yeah, in the eyes of Georgia and the NCAA. And, and then Georgia says, you know, it would be even funnier if we humiliated them. And then we told the NCAA what they <laughs> did and then got, made it so they can't even they, – yeah. they didn't make the natty this year. They might have gotten robbed. But they're really not going to make it next year, and the year after, and the year after, because they're going to lose scholarships. They're going to lose. They're going to face some penalties, and so kind of a weird little Georgia Florida State rivalry that's grown. As much as
0: making light of the situation, because it it seems like a source of dark humor, right? These poor put upon Florida State. There is a deeper story here, in that the NCAA is really they're really defining the haves and have nots. Because I think down in Tallahassee. Florida State fans would say we're elite, we're a top five program, and oh, sure. yeah,
1: they most surely are being told they are not. Right, right. They Bama got the benefit of a doubt with yeah. one loss that Florida State couldn't get at it with an undefeated record. Michigan seems to have cheated throughout the entire season. Right, right. <laughs> and that, what's their punishment? They, a self-imposed three-game suspension of the head coach.
0: I nah, look, I'm not saying Michigan cheated, but I'm just saying. In terms of the I publicity, <laughs> Michigan in, embroiled in scandals, no repercussions.
1: Uh, it's. I mean, I, I I do know the my Florida State friends do feel uh, we've made light of them acting like victims. Going back to that bowl game, they do feel like the victim oh. of college football. They feel like the NCAA is out to get on – are- NCAA is out to get them nothing will ever go their way you know they deal with this injury at the quarterback and then they they fight through adversity do everything they can still get left out and then oh yeah good luck ever making it again because we're going to penalize you for doing what everyone else was doing at least that's that's the story I don't know the details and the extent of the violations that they committed versus what every other school is committing it doesn't even it doesn't even seem to to
0: be frank, I'm not even interested in researching what the violations were given how outlandish NIL seems to have become. It 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 strikes me as crazy that we're even talking about. I'll just about
1: say it. this. In terms of tampering, I caught when last year during the season that A.D. Mitchell was talk yeah, it, it was rumored that A.D. Mitchell was gonna go to Texas on the Georgia message boards. And this year I knew I heard rumors about Quinshawn Jutkins going to Auburn. And, of course, he ended up going to Ohio State. But there's good reason – I mean, when there's smoke, there's a fire. It seems like everyone knows these players are talking to other schools during the season when, or at least when they're not even in the transfer portal and because there's no way that those rumors pop up and then become true six months later as a coincidence. It seems like there's definitely you know conversations being had, maybe there's back not- channels or whatnot <laughs> – yeah. There's too much happening. There's
0: too much stuff. To, you're right. There's too much smoke, right? That I need a hundred thousand to stay coach.
1: Or I mean, there's too much. It's clearly. I mean, I heard, I heard bond at Alabama was, was a done deal to Texas before any of this happened. And that, you know, he, he didn't have a conversation with the new head coach. He didn't give Alabama a chance to even make an offer. And But, but we're supposed to believe that he hadn't been talking to Texas either. Texas hadn't reached out to him. There were no he just knew that's where he wanted to go. And they just so happened to strike a deal without any kind of negotiation or anything. And so that there's a lot of that going on. And if you're going to hammer down on Florida State, it seems like there's a lot of schools that are going to be in trouble. And who knows, Mike? Maybe it's paving the way for Illinois to have a shot.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So mention Deion Sanders. Should also mention Harbaugh because these are the two folks that are. And I don't know if there's any legs to the Dion stuff. I, you know, fans fans love the idea of Dion going to the Cowboys or going to Florida State. I love the idea Dion going to the Cowboys. Jim Harbaugh going to, you know, going to the Bears, going to San Diego. Well, there is no San Diego. Well, yeah, sorry, sorry. Going to the Chargers. thank you. <laughs> going to the Chargers. You know, these are. Again, you know the, the, these are interesting questions. And again, with it, so it's, this question of like the analytics of coaches, you're Jerry Jones or you're the Chicago Bears. How do you decide that? Well, Harbaugh is the guy now. Harbaugh's got a great pro record, right? So he's got yeah. a track record. Yep. But Deion Sanders going to the Cowboys? There's no data there. I, you are you are purely operating on gut feel, and you're going to talk yourself into it about dion knows the modern athlete he knows how to inspire he will get the best out of these guys
1: yeah it's it's kind of odd to me that bill belichick's name is being floated out with programs or or franchises that are in a rebuild it just doesn't seem like a rebuilding situation it seems like much like when tom brady left new england he probably needs to be in a situation where he's competing for a championship i don't want to interrupt you but as you bring up belichick how do you how would you interview Bill Belichick? You're, <laughs>
0: yeah. you're like, the you're, you're 30 years younger than the guy. He's arguably the greatest coach in the history. What, what questions, Bill, what's your philosophy? How are you going to build I,
1: I think <laughs> that I would specifically ask him questions pertaining to the New York Giants and what he would do differently to not allow Eli Manning to beat him in the Super Bowl twice again. Okay. If that situation were to occur. So, what what did you learn from that and how have you grown from it so we can be sure that you're not going to lose to a 500 team in a Super Bowl? How have you
0: grown from your experiences, Bill? Do you have a, you know, what what do you, how would you build a program? I mean, it's, no, I just, it's like,
1: I think Bill to Dallas would make a ton of sense. Of course, Dallas would have to fire McCarthy, who's coming off three back to back to back 12 and five seasons. Uh, Talk about smoke. You know, the, the internet is full of smoke. Yeah, I would I would love I think that would be great for football. Bill Belichick to Dallas, because I, I think there's people that would have loved to see Brady going to Dallas. And Dallas has been kind of cursed in the sense of being, quote unquote, America's team, having all the talent, having uh, a number of teams. I mean, in my lifetime as a Giants fan, it feels like the Giants beat them maybe 10 percent of the time. And yet the Giants have won two Super Bowls and made another And that time frame and Dallas hasn't made any, you know, it, it's going to fire a guy after going what, I think 12 and five and 12 and five, three seasons in a row. I don't know. I would love to see bill Belichick and, in, in Dallas okay. because they would become the ultimate sports villains to, to everyone that already hates Dallas and already hates the Patriots. But what for a- Cowboys fans, it would feel like we finally have the tools. We have what it takes to do it in the postseason. Of course, we won't find out until a year from now, but it would be a very, very highly anticipated game and be, a reinvigorated fan base.
0: It would be the greatest off-se- It's. I agree with you. This would be the ideal offseason story of Bill Belichick, Jerry Jones, and Dak Prescott getting ready to compete. Now, let's go back to the New England Patriots. Yeah. Okay, So, again, this issue of coach analytics. Now, Belichick is... The greatest example of one of the challenges in all this: the separation of the coach and the quarterback.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, this is also the Mike Tomlin problem. It's Pittsburgh. Tomlin was more successful with Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, he's been essentially nine and seven, eight and eight since then, right? So, how do you which separate is still fine given what he's, <laughs> but how do you separate out the effects? Yep. Right. yeah. So the Patriots, then, you know, I, I think. You know, it was a great story a couple of years ago, right? Was it Brady or was it Belichick? Then Brady won the Super Bowl. We all decided he was the, go- the greatest of all time. And Belichick then had to – Belichick had to, with five, six Super Bowls then had to prove himself, which is awesome. The Patriots <laughs> seems like they've pushed him out in favor
1: of a guy Nicely, who- Nicely, by the way. Like they had a joint presser with Kraft and Belichick talking about how they all love each other and stuff. Okay. But, but
0: – and then chose as his replacement – a 37-year-old, I believe 37 years old, that has only coached half of a position group. He was listed as the inside linebackers
1: coach. Yeah, and people, people when they point to him being a good candidate, they say, look, he played for Belichick. So you know he's going to be good. I'm like, wait a second. Belichick's the guy that we're getting rid of. But we know this guy's going to be good. Because he was one of his job. players,
0: but how do you look at those two resumes and say,
1: "I want the thirty-seven-year-old inside linebacker coach"? I think that I, I my personal opinion is that Belichick's not the guy you want for a rebuild, and they want to rebuild, and okay. Belichick doesn't want to rebuild. He wants to go. He wants to coach somewhere where he can compete because he's late in his career. That's my impression. And so it's just not a fit right now. And they they respect each other enough to admit that.
0: So another part of this story about coach analytics is what is the, what is the goal? Bill's goal is to win 14 games to win another title. And the Patriots goal is to the process NFL version, perhaps right. Need a need a quarterback need to need to retool that. Yeah,
1: Yeah. And they might go through three coaches by the time they're competitive again but it's a different... I mean, getting back to that DeBoer, Alabama hire, Bama needs to compete right now. They have the players to compete right now, and they hire a coach that's competing right now. They go and hire a guy that made the national championship this year who they feel like can take the roster we already have. We don't need a guy that can build a program from scratch. We don't need a guy that can rebuild a losing program. We need a guy that can take a a good hand and play it well, (laughs) And, and that's what they did, and I think that... You know, like I said, with Dallas, I feel like they're in a pretty similar situation. And if they were, if they were gutsy, they might roll the dice and go for Belichick. I mean, I remember when the Golden State Warriors dumped their coach Mark Jackson, coming off their most winning season at the time in Steph Curry's career. They made a little playoff run, fired him in place of Steve Kerr, who at the time was an unproven commodity. Felt the like best. a really big gamble, and in hindsight, it was the best thing yeah. they ever did. The best example of that might be Jerry Krause and the Bulls. There you go. Yep. As documented in the last
0: dance. Yep. Dan Albeck, teams improving, Phil gone. Jackson. Doug Collins, team improves further, doesn't get to the finals, gone. Phil. Phil Jackson. Yep.
1: Yeah, that, that's the best example. And so I think if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm strongly considering that. I really, I really am. So to sum this up, Doug.
0: Coaching and analytics, right? That there's, you know, coaches operate in the world of analytics via their philosophies, whether or not there's data supporting it. But I think when we boil down to the question of who the coach should be, analytics flies out the window, doesn't it? Well, it it does. And you know, we're post rationalization, cherry picking facts, you know, kind of the eye test, the character
1: that this is, and again, also, how much of it has to do with, how hot the guy is at that point in time because (laughs) yeah every year right well you you think like college basketball there's always a big open i remember like usc had an opening and they hired the guy from florida gulf coast because florida gulf coast went on a tear that year won a couple tournament games and again with college football you'll have on any given year one guy that's that every team in america would do anything to get and three years later Guy can't get a job. He's a coordinator again, and, yeah. and and you think about Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, the hottest name in college sports. Three, you know, five five years ago, three years ago, even Bama grad. Bama fans were talking about, man, you guys just wait because when Saban leaves, we're gonna have an even more forward thinking offensive coach. He's a Bama alum. He's gonna be here. He's gonna continue. And this last week, like I said, you had fans saying they would cover themselves in gasoline and light themselves on fire if the team even interviewed Dabo Sweeney because he's had a bad two seasons. And so it's like you're hiring based on who did well this last year, but that same guy you might not hire two years from now. And and you know, to the contrary, there might be a guy that I don't know. I just think there's some inefficiencies there where. Oh I I don't Will, think there's a Will Muschamp was the hottest name in in college sports at one point as the DC having coached under Saban and coached at Texas, LSU, Auburn and and you know had a bad stint at Florida and and nobody wants to touch the guy as a head coach.
0: I, there's any doubt about what you're saying? Every year, every year the coaching carousel there's you know it, it's it's one of these things where it's not even clear where the names come from because usually there's a Scott oh, there's, Frost. This is the defensive coordinator from Alabama, right? It's like the media almost anoints some of it. And I'm sure it's conversations with insiders in terms of, you know, maybe the powers that be Kirby starts to push one of his guys is, you know, needing to get to that, that next level. But it inevitably, you're right. It ends up being this this hot kind of shaka smart remember
1: oh yeah and he was i mean we were talking is he going to go to the nba or is he going to go to unc you know is he is he roy williams successor or is he going to go coach the celtics and and brad stevens was that guy you know at butler he had i mean he had a lot of success at butler and i remember thinking he's definitely going to be the next guy at duke went to the celtics Here's the question to
0: you doug like these guys these guys that go on runs in the ncaa tournament or that you know take a I remember one year Illinois was looking for a coach and I think it was Kevin Sumlin had been like 11 and one at Houston and you know, they didn't, they didn't get him. You know, he went to a a better job, maybe went to A&M. But you know, how often are these hot guys successful versus let's say testing the alternative. And again, this is one of the problems with coaching analytics. There's not enough data versus the guy that had, You know, came up through the system. Yeah, you know, been an assistant coach with the with the old mentor for twenty years, and then gets to take over.
1: Right, I, I remember wanting when Georgia hired Kirby Smart, the head coach at Houston, who had been the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, was the hot name, and everyone just knew he was gonna he was gonna run college football. He was gonna be. The next Urban Meyer, the next Nick Saban, that that guy, and because Ohio State was a different team after he left, and he, he went to Texas and flamed out, and, and and Kirby was kind of a less sexy pick in my opinion, a kind of journeyman assistant, <laughs> and, and of course much better success. What'd you say, Mike? I said bad hair, and and again, bad I mean, hair, I'm, yeah. I'm
0: making light of it, but I, I that kind of stupidity comes into some of this stuff.
1: Well, right? it's, it's it's if not, you look at like this last. Is it if you look at this last season, if you cut the season short, so if you cut it after four weeks, I think Alabama might be interviewing Deion Sanders to be their head coach, which is absurd, but he was the hot name at that time. Doug, I forget.
0: Oh, God, what's the guy's what is the name? Who's the Mississippi coach? Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin. Right. So you mentioned he was one of the candidates for Alabama. Why is Lane Kiffin? Always one of the names that
1: is hot considered for these elite jobs. When he's like bombed multiple professional he's and college program franchises.
0: A lot of jobs. Right? Lot of jobs. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I, 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 I think that I never want my team to go with the guy who was who's like new and had pretty good success. And then his team went on a run in the NCAA tournament. That's like not the guy I want because the NCAA (laughs) tournament, feels like such a fluke thing. And very rarely, I think Brad Stevens is like the only guy I can think of that did it once and then ended up being like a successful coach at the next level to any degree. Uh, Yeah. You know, it's probably a mix
0: of skills, right? So you want that quote unquote, brilliant, sports mind, right? And you can find that anywhere. And then you also want the institutional building characteristics, right? Yeah. Recruiting at Alabama is a different game than recruiting at, recru- Alabama football is a different game than recruiting Butler basketball, right? Yep. It's just fundamentally yep. different. So, you know, the demonstration of those skills, but, uh, you know, again, maybe to wrap this up, it is just the the, the primary point is that coaching analytics Analyst comes into coaching decisions as a support or via heuristics, or kind of folk wisdom, uh, the wisdom of crowds. But in terms of identifying the right guy, man, it's just it's not something that's going to tend to happen.
1: I got one more. I got one more, and this could be a whole nother podcast. Maybe it will be one day. But one more thought on this is, it's really sh- striking to me how former players. Either get the benefit of the doubt and jump the ranks rapidly, or are sort of almost like treated as an equal to guys that came up in the coaching ranks. And and by that, I mean Deion Sanders jumping straight to head coach. First job as a coach, I I believe, is as a head coach. On the contrary, or or as a comparison, Heinz Ward, a guy that that was a Super Bowl MVP. There are Georgia fans that have wanted him to be receiver coach at Georgia, and he's never gotten an interview, to my knowledge, because he hasn't doesn't have experience recruiting, you know, doesn't have all this coaching background. And I, I believe he's like the equivalent like an on field receiver coach for the Jets or something like that. Like he's he's kind of started from the ground up. It's like he's starting as an intern, working his way up. And you see that like in basketball, like someone like Steve Nash becomes a head coach. But then like there's all these assistants that were also former players. And it's like, who decides which former player is going to be a good coach and why? Like, why did we decide Deion Sanders is cut out to be a a head coach? But, you know, Heinz Ward isn't cut out to be a position coach at the same level yet. But he's got to go through his internships first. That's that's really striking to me.
0: Yeah, and you know what I'm going to say on that one, Doug? And usually I got an answer for you or I'll t- attempt an answer. I'm going to say hard pass. <laughs> it, it's an interesting name that you've brought up because Heinz Ward has been a guy that I've actually had similar thoughts about where he was a you know because he was an interesting player with some quarterback, quarterback experience, receiver, receiver experience, yeah, defensive back. He yeah. seemed to be an incredibly high character guy for the Pittsburgh Steelers, loved by the loved by the fan base. And so when he doesn't get those coaching opportunities, and it seems like he's been vocal at times about wanting those opportunities. Yeah, I
1: think he had come out and publicly said, like in a newspaper, that I would take any job on the Georgia staff in a heartbeat. And I'm like, why aren't they offering this guy? You got a you got a Super Bowl MVP. You want to recruit for you? This is the problem, right? Where it's like when
0: there's something like that going on, you kind of go, maybe there's something else happening, right? And that's why I'm going to say I'm just going to hard pass on that on that one.
1: Yeah. I, I
0: don't know. And it's, like in uh, the
1: NBA, I almost feel like every other coaching vacancy is a former point guard and half of them are bust. Half of them are are really good. I don't know what makes too bad because the former coaches should be the centers because there's nothing better than a seven foot
0: <laughs> center that weighs, you know, 300 and remember the 000. old
1: Georgetown basketball coach was one yeah. of those guys. <laughs> but yeah, well, they, so queuing for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, former players, like they get treated either they either get preferential treatment or almost like the opposite and i guess it's because of people's (laughs) experience with them and and whether they think they're you know they're either penalized for having played or they're given a a major pass okay doug some of the
0: to wrap this up some of the videos of the week that i have loved (laughs) and the first one and i like i don't know what people have said about it I think Travis Kelsey's mom doesn't want Taylor in the booth anymore. for <laughs> dancing and swaying. Mrs. Kelsey seems vaguely annoyed and uncomfortable.
1: Mrs. Kelsey always seems vaguely annoyed and uncomfortable in the booth with T. Swift, with her big I old like, Doug, I think we've hit the turn. I think we started
0: seeing it with the New York fans, right? Booing Taylor or whatever it was. I think NFL fans have had enough of Taylor Swift. She's still goosing the ratings, but I, I think know. the NFL fans have had enough out.
1: I don't, Tell her I, don't out. I don't, I don't have like the biggest problem with it. And I think it's funny how obsessed people are with it from like, with such a negative attitude or like, yeah, she's doing the swag surf like everyone else in the stadium. But I'll say this. I was irate watching the Detroit lions game, knowing that Eminem is in attendance. They showed him one time. And when the game ended, And there was this whole video before the game of Eminem asking Stafford to essentially throw the game so that Detroit could finally just have something good. And they never panned to Eminem to show his reaction. I'm like, this is a guy whose caricature of himself is constantly on display in in his music videos and, and in pop culture over the years. And he's just being a real person for a day. He's in the stands. like He's got fans around him. I want to see him high-fiving and jumping up and down and screaming and hugging random people. They never pan to the guy. I'm like, this is what I want to watch. That's a celebrity I want to see on the screen.
0: Okay, and you are alone. (laughs) When Taylor Swift rolls out and says, I'm going to put 2 million people in front of your TV sets, 5 million, 10 million people. I'm going to put 10 million incremental viewers on your show. I don't even know who's playing. Eminem is not bringing 10
1: million. And Eminem I didn't say he's bringing 10 million. I'm just saying like a football guy. Football guys like Eminem. We grew up working out to Eminem and, and playing. I remember high school football going out on the field and like every, well, not at my school, but all the all the opposing schools play Eminem before the game. And it's like, that's, that's a football guy. Like that's on brand. It fits. And for Detroit, like, you know, that stadium sounded so loud. And it's like, you know, who knew? I mean, I know in the, Last offseason, we talked about the fandom rankings. They've got a a pretty good fan base, kind of blue-collar, like cold-weather city. I'm not saying you're
0: wrong in terms of how you feel. (laughs) I'm just saying you're wrong in terms of comparing Eminem to Taylor Swift.
1: All right. Well, look, I know (laughs) this isn't going to happen because the script's been written, and we've already seen the Super Bowl logo, so we know what teams are in. But (laughs) Detroit versus Taylor – Eminem better get as much screen time as Taylor Swift. He needs equal time. Mike, I need to educate you on something you might not know. You might. Sorry if I sound like I'm being like I don't know disrespectful in some way. So, do you, are you familiar with the term stan?
0: I've heard that, but I don't. It's you know, cap stand. I mean, so stand. Is- so
1: people will say like a Taylor Swift fan will say we stand for Travis Kelsey. We stand for Travis. You know where this term Stan comes from? No, but I like I like this new segment of the Gen Z Lingo segment of the show. Go. It comes from Eminem. <laughs> he has a song called Stan about a guy named Stan that kept oh, yeah. kept writing him fan mail and cool ended, song, ended right? up killing himself. But really a song, right? yeah like in the like early 2000s or late 90s whatever uh, dear slim you know and uh, and he's writing letters so so that comes from eminem but then when we have our moment so eminem that is like a huge fandom term that eminem is the father of uh, what, we're uh, in a fandom like showcase with nfl wow. and we won't even show eminem
0: fine fine what are the names what's the name of the eminem fan base we know they're the Swifties. so what are the i mean I, they- I
1: think they probably just call themselves the stands <laughs>
0: I don't even have a name. <laughs> okay. Oh Let's man. I think the last one, <laughs> and I'm laughing. I'm laughing at this. I'm also sort of appalled by it. Snows in Buffalo, and the Bills just put the call out for their fans to show up with the shovels. Oh yeah, and clean the stadium out. If Doug, I'm almost thinking 50 years ago, maybe a little bit more than 50 years ago, you might have seen the Steelers players and the Bills players with the shovel, <laughs> right? Clearing the field. They give these guys $20 an hour. And these guys have to take their shirts off and ride down the snow. No, I, they don't
1: have to take their shirts off. No one yes. was paid to take their shirt. off. Okay. <laughs> they, they asked if they could take their shirt off and they were uh, reluctantly allowed. Yeah, I liked the big guy sliding down, you know, living his best life. I'm always curious with these things. I'm like, did these guys not get frostbite? Or these guys end up in the hospital afterwards. There was like a shirtless guy at the Chiefs game the other day. And I'm like, is this guy, like, is he just immune these to are, science? These guys are cannon fodder,
0: Doug. They're, they're never seen again. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Just. They're just there for the show, and yeah.
1: When I I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, they must have given like free tickets to people that would be willing to go out and do that." And no, twenty dollars. Which, by the way, the stadium looks great. I saw pictures earlier today. It looks, it looks completely. I mean, they every inch of that place was shoveled by Bills fans, and
0: this is why I'm sort of appalled, but sort of laughed at Bills Nation.
1: Love you, love them. Love them. The only you thing mean, it was missing was a table on fire at the bottom for someone to jump onto. It's just complete BS that there
0: weren't tables on fire for these guys to work in front of. It's right? the
1: one time where a fire might actually be useful for Bills fans.
0: Love all this. But the Bills organization, I, I think the TV revenue split in the NFL is something like $220 million a team twenty dollars an hour
1: <laughs> to shovel snow. Yeah. Come on. Terrible. Those terrible um, I'll say Give this, these something. The bill fans. We've talked about it a hundred times about how you know they, they don't rank as highly as as they should because they have some, there aren't enough of them. There aren't enough of them, but the ones that are there are awesome. They don't need a mascot. They need every game to just let one fan be the mascot. Like, bring them, bring one fan of the week down onto the field, let them jump onto a table in front of everybody, let them get the crowd rowdy. There's no mascot in America, with the exception of the BYU Cougar and the Pop-Tart and yeah. maybe the Oregon Duck, <laughs> that could ignite a fan base in the way that any one of those table-jumping Bills fans we could. We are
0: in a new era. The Bills mascot could be a table on fire.
1: <laughs> it's just I a mean,
0: table. Fire fire. <laughs> it's okay. just a table. We'll wrap here, as always. You know, Our online home is fandomanalytics.com. Thank you.